I want to start off this week just reading for you 14 verses from the Gospel of Luke. As a matter of fact, it's a little less than 14 verses because I took a little tiny bit out. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the desert. He went into the hill country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all mankind will see God's salvation. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee the coming wrath, produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What should we do then? The crowd asked. John answered, The man with two tunics should share one with him who has none, and the one who has food should do the same. Tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. So we're in week two of Advent. Who remembers what we talked about for week one? And I'm going to invite John to come up. What? Hope. Yes, hope. Hope, hope, hope. Do you want to light the hope candle? I just love the fact, I'm sorry, i got to say it again, the Stanfields are so quick to show up with anything to do with flames. <laughs> um, you can laugh. <laughs> Which probably means that his parents are responsible and don't let them play with matches in other contexts, right? So, <laughs> I know. I was actually mocking, <laughs> I was mocking his parents, technically. <laughs> oh, you can go ahead. Go for it. So how about week two? Does anybody have any clue maybe what we're talking about tonight? Last week we printed it out on the on the calendar, this time we didn't, so you have to be, have really strong memories. And if you already asked me today, don't answer. Anybody remember? There's a few different things that we could talk about, but we're talking, what's that? Faith? Faith? No? Well, it's always talking about that to some degree. Joy? No, that's not yet. Preparation. Preparation. So in la last week, we talked about the hope that we have in Christ Jesus, and we talk about how that understanding of what we're hoping for in Jesus' return hopefully informs our present action. And I want to talk more about that today, about what we do when we are waiting for Jesus to come and redeem, restore, and reconstitute His creation. I think that we're a culture that's really good at practicing, about getting ready 
practicing getting ready. We do it every day, right? I, I mean, some of you might need to do it more. <laughs> I need to do it more sometimes, right? I mean, we have routines that we go through a preparation every single day, right? We get up, we shower, we brush our teeth, we shave, we dress, we drive. We're getting ready, right? We're getting ready for what the day might bring or what we think it might bring or what we hope it might bring. And this whole getting ready thing is all that much more difficult or profound or ingrained in our lives if you have kids, right? Get ready. I said get ready. Get ready. Get ready now, right? How many times do you say get ready when you have, like, kids my kids' age? I think we just have to put it on a recorder and hit, like, repeat and be like, get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready, all morning long. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. We have a lot of getting ready that we do in our society. Getting ready of things like having dinner. We're getting ready for dinner. Had a lovely dinner at somebody's house, Cat and I, last night, and there was a lot of getting ready for that. It was obvious, and it was wonderful. It's nice to get ready. And, of course, with some of these things, if you're like me, um, you have a lot of things to get ready for. And I have this thing that I call J-I-T. Does anybody know what J-I-T is? Just in time, right? <laughs> I've got my getting ready morning routine down to the point where I know from out of bed to out the door, 10 minutes. 10 minutes I can do it, depending upon how much other involvement I have to have with the kids or whatever getting ready. But, oh, absolutely, right, Kat? 10 minutes, boom, yeah, I can do that. Some people call that procrastination, right? Because I'm laying in bed some mornings and I'm like... Okay, what do I got to do? Okay, 5 plus 10, 15 minutes. I got to get up 15 minutes before I need to be out the door. And then hope that everything goes <laughs> just like it's supposed to. And we're, so we're good at it. Does anybody else do, think that? Does anybody else lay in bed in the morning and they're like, okay, how much time is it? Some people are smiling. They don't want to raise their hands, right? They're like, that's me exactly. I do that every day. We're good. We're pretty good at getting ready pretty good at getting ready. I don't like to call that JIT thing procrastination at all. I think that's something different. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right? <laughs> well, there is this other thing, right, that's kind of related to that, where something's so far off in the distance that it's, we have this just-in-time mindset, and it's, oh, man, that's like six months away, or a month away, or a year away, or four months away, or whatever. We don't have to really think about it that much, right? We're counting down the time. Okay, what, what do I have to do to fulfill JIT? You know, like, sometimes those are harder things, though, right? Sometimes those are things we have to think about, like uh, maybe re retirement. <laughs> Don't want to think about that, right? Well, some people in the room do. Those things are the things we really procrastinate at and the things that can really sneak up on us, the stuff that's just far enough out of our mind that we don't really have to spend a whole lot of time thinking about it. And my goodness, I don't know how y'all are, but when those things show up, it's like, oh my goodness, are you kidding me? Where did the time go? What happened? I wanted to take my boys five more places before they graduated high school. and I didn't get a chance to, because that was, that was still 10 years or oh, eight years away. For Noah, like there's those things that we, in a culture that's pretty good at preparing for stuff every day, we're, we're not always good at preparing for those things that are far off. 
So how are everybody's holiday preparations going? Right? <laughs> oh, don't go there, you jerk. <laughs> it's busy. Wow. My goodness. <laughs> I just got an eye roll. <laughs> it's busy. I mean, we have got a lot of things that we prepare for, and a lot of it's good stuff. It's great stuff, right? Family traditions and trees and cookie making. And, and where's Tracy, by the way, cookie making, right? Uh, anyway, <laughs> inside joke, kind of. <laughs> Decorating trees, meals, sharing meals together, not just Christmas day meals or Christmas Eve meals, but meals leading up, preparations, gifts, getting ready for Christmas Eve or Christmas Day, or maybe some of you are getting ready to go to a special place. To a, does anybody go, does anybody like take off and drive across a country or anything? No? Nobody? Wow, sweet. How about just across town? Some? <laughs> well, we can maybe help you out with getting you there, Linda. There's all these things that we, we get ready for. I remember when I was a kid always getting ready for special people showing up at my mom and dad's house because Christmas, usually Christmas Eve would happen at my mom and dad's house and just that anxious anticipation of family coming from sometimes a long ways away, sometimes just from a, the town next to us. Golly, those are good times, as busy as they can be. And we spend an awful lot of time getting ready for those moments. But as much time as we spend preparing and getting ready for those things, and not just those things, not just the Christmas things, this, all this getting ready we do all the time in our society, how much time do we spend preparing, getting ready for Jesus' return? How much time do we spend doing that? How many... How many, wouldn't it be beautiful? I'm just going to speak to myself for a second, if that's all right. You can eavesdrop on that. So it'd be something like this. Hey, Cole, how cool would it be if that instead of sitting and looking at the clock, waiting for 15 minutes to come around, buying your time until you can just make it out of the door just in time, thinking about getting ready for the day, how about if you just spent some time thinking about today, how am I going to dedicate myself to getting ready and being ready when Jesus appears? Hmm. What if we spent a little bit more time focused on that? Maybe you spend more time than you realize. Maybe we all spend more time than we realize getting ready. Maybe not. <laughs> Maybe some of you are like, no, nothing crossed my mind at all. Never think about that a bit. Maybe, maybe we do, though. Maybe we just don't recognize that we're doing it. Maybe we just don't recognize we're doing I think getting ready for Jesus' return is similar to other kinds of getting ready. Getting ready in the morning and getting ready for a celebration. Some of that anxious anticipation, that excitement that comes and some of the things that we, could, we do, the active participation and stuff. I think there's some real similarities, but there's some real differences too. There's a couple of really key differences that I want to talk about. Unlike the anticipation of a Christmas celebration happening maybe on Christmas Eve at 6 o'clock. We don't know when Jesus is coming. That's one huge difference. We know many of these other events. I know I have to be in town by 8.30 or 7 o'clock or whatever it is on any given day of the week. I can get ready for that, and I know how to prepare for that to some degree. But I don't know. We don't know 
Of course, there's all kinds of people that want to try and tell you they know, right? <laughs> Change the channel. <laughs> well, I've uh, done my math, and it's going to be uh, December 28th, 2025, that Jesus is going to return at 8.02 p.m. <laughs> I think. <laughs> and I know I said that last year about this year. <laughs> but... It, you guys know what I'm talking about. You've been around that, right? It's just like, oh my goodness. Jesus says the day and the hour. I don't know. I don't know. I don't think he wants us guessing. So that's one of the main differences. When we're preparing, we don't know. It could be any minute. It could be before I get the next word out of my mouth. take that and no <laughs> oh. right yeah yeah let's take a poll no let's not <laughs> that, that would be nice though right it would be nice not, not. I love the way scripture describes it because it describes it really mysteriously this second appearing of Jesus that's one of the ways it describes it a sudden appearing. It talks about it as a thief in the night. It talks about it on coming on the clouds with power. And don't read any of those things too literally because they really slip through our fingers. Maybe the most literal would be a sudden appearing of Jesus. The point, though, is that we just don't know. We don't know. We should be prepared. We should be getting ready every day for whatever it's going to look like. Whatever it's going to look like, we should be ready every moment of every day. The second difference that I want to point out is that we really spend an awful lot of time when it comes to preparing for things like Christmas celebrations or other just things we do during the day, acting first. We might think about it a little bit, but what goes on here with Jesus coming and us being prepared for it fully starts as an inward thing. It's a matter of a heart turned to God. That's where it starts. That's where this being prepared starts, is when a person has turned their heart back to God. Being ready for God begins when we repent. And don't let that word scare you, please. How many of you, are, how many of you have been scared of that word at some point in your life, this repent? I know I have. I've been, I, was scared, I was scared stiff of that word. It kept me running from God instead of turning back to him. Instead of actually embracing the very idea of the piece of terminology of turning back to God, I was afraid. We should not be afraid of pursuing God, seeking God, desiring God, wanting God, hungering and thirsting for God. Of course, this thing that begins as a powerful inward transformation and inward turning has a powerful outworking. In the text that I read us today from Luke, 
John the Baptist is in the wilderness. And when you hear wilderness, sometimes it's translated desert. Don't think like the Sahara. This is a wilderness of jagged cliffs and rocks, of valleys and mountains. It's a wilderness. It's some tough walking, some tough going. And he's in this wilderness. He's proclaiming. He's proclaiming an opportunity for people to return to God. An opportunity for people to come back to God. He speaks of this wilderness being made smooth and straight. As it is being prepared for God's arrival. But this wilderness to be made smooth and straight is not the literal wilderness that he's in. In other words, John is not imagining that people were going out to be baptized to make straight paths for the Lord, to make this desert smooth and straight with a bunch of shovels and buckets and rakes and hose and everything else that you could get your hands on to move some earth, right? That would be weird. Nobody was doing that. Of course, it would also be that we don't do it with bulldozers or dump trucks. Like, we're not supposed to go to valleys and literally move mountains. It's not like they're making a landing strip for God as if he's coming in on some kind of a spaceship. Whoa, make sure you put the lights out real bright too because i got to know where I'm landing. Right? That's not the point. What do you think the wilderness is that's in view here is? It's your heart. It's your inmost being. Oh, boy. Let me talk just punctuation for a second. One way that you can translate this, and by the way, it's quoting Isaiah 40. A voice calling out in the wilderness, make straight paths. And that's probably how most of you have heard this proclamation before. A voice calling out in the wilderness. And it gives the image of some dude, like John the Baptist, out in the wilderness, and he's the voice calling out. Make straight paths. But particularly in the Hebrew, in Isaiah, that's not quite the right way to punctuate it. Rather, it's a voice calling out. In the wilderness, make straight paths. Or maybe more straightforwardly, a voice calling out, make straight paths in the wilderness. And yes, it's our hearts that are that wilderness. They're rugged. They're beat up. They're jagged. They got valleys and mountains and all kinds of places to trip us up. They're dangerous. Our hearts have crooked paths that lead us astray. It has those deep, dark valleys of fear that paralyze us where we feel lost and lonely and we turn in on ourselves and we seek by our own hearts what we should do and it just doesn't lead us anyplace right or good. It has jagged peaks and rough spots Scars and wounds and hurts. 
and our hearts are blind. They don't see God. Does anybody relate to that? At least at some point in their life? I, I, I can, and I see many people shaking their heads, yes. God calls us to prepare our hearts, to prepare our hearts for his arrival. And again, that work begins by repentance. And repentance is not so much feeling horrible about what you've done, but rather recognize that you're going the wrong way, being led astray, and you need a change in direction. I don't think repentance is a one-time deal. I think repentance is an ongoing thing in our lives. It's when our eyes are open, we have these little epiphanies along the way where we come to realize that it would be wise to change direction, turn back to God and let Him lead us instead. Where we let God come in and fill in the valleys that are dark and smooth out the jagged spots. And this change... This change of going out to be baptized that many people were doing when John was baptizing it was about more than just going through some motion, right? This baptism that John was offering, it wasn't okay to just go and be baptized. It wasn't okay to just go out into the wilderness. It's not where it ends, that's where it starts. Jesus, sorry, John the Baptist calls these folks that are following him out to the desert to be baptized a brood of vipers. Doesn't sound very nice, does it? How'd you like to be called a brood? I just showed up to be baptized. Come on, man. I like the way Eugene Peterson describes these folks. He says that they were just simply going out there because they were going through the motions. They saw a bunch of other people headed out, and they wanted to be cool and trendy and hip. Let's get baptized. That's what all the cool kids are doing. Isn't Jesus just cool? Well, they didn't know Jesus at that point in time, but I'm speaking to today. When people just simply go through the motions of being baptized because a family member has pressured them, or they just think it's the cool thing to do. John's not okay with that. Jesus is not okay with that. Because of the fact that it's hard to see when it's real, John the Baptist calls for fruit in keeping with repentance. This thing that happens inside of making a straight, smooth road for God to come into us has an outworking. Something happens. It's amazing, actually, to me what John the Baptist has to say, because he later seems to misunderstand Jesus significantly. Did you guys catch it when I read through it, what John the Baptist said to do it, said when it comes to fruit in keeping with repentance? It's really simple. It's the kind of stuff you learn in kindergarten. You guys have seen that, like everything I ever needed to know I learned in kindergarten? Have you seen, have you get, no? Am I, nothing? There's a book, it's great, right? Holly knows it. Right? Somebody, come on. Okay, all right. All right, all right, okay, all right. He says that if, if you have extra clothes, if you're showing up to be baptized and you're saying you're repenting, turning your heart back to God, you want to have a heart that's prepared for his arrival, 
What are you going to do in light of having done that? If, you're, if it's for real, what's the fruit of that? If you've got plenty of stuff, if you've got extra clothes, share them. And he doesn't say if you have a super abundance. He just says if you have two. If you have two tunics, give one away. But what happens if I lose that one? What happens if it gets torn? What happens if it wears out? What happens if it gets all wet and dirty? Gotta have two. No. If you have two, give one away. Fruit in keeping with repentance. If you have an abundance of food, I bet you there's hardly a person here. There might be one or two that does not have an abundance of food. If you have an abundance of food, give it away. Oh my goodness, what happens tomorrow? Don't steal. Fruit in keeping with repentance. This prepared heart, the fruit that it's going to bear. Don't steal. That's not tough. Well, maybe it is. I don't know. Don't extort. Don't bear false witness. Be content. Oh, there's a tough one. Well, I was content, but I gave away my extra tunic. (laughs) (laughs) I was content, but I gave away my extra car. Oh, boy, can't. No, not cars, Cole. Not cars. He's just talking tunics and food. Yeah. Be content. Because a heart turned back to God has a heart that has learned to trust God, that's learned to rely on God. It's oftentimes, almost always, time, the, the heart that has tried to walk its road itself has let its own heart guide. And has realized that's not the way to go. So I've turned back to God and I'm seeking for him to lead me, guide me, show me what life is like. Allow trust to be established. I think a beautiful way to picture what Isaiah is proclaiming and John the Baptist is describing is that God comes into our hearts and just lays the slate clean. As a matter of fact, this wilderness, he turns into a desert of sorts. Something that at least we would picture as a desert, right? Because what does it describe? He's taken all the high, val- or the high mountains and he's filled in the low valleys and everything's flat and smooth. And made a straight path right down the middle of it. When we return to God, when we repent, when we just hand him over our lives... He just restores us. Blank slate. And he says, trust me. You can share your food. You've tried doing it your own way. You don't have to steal. You don't have to extort. You don't have to bear false witness. You can be content with what you have. And he lets us see him. We get to see God. Because our hearts have eyes. Apparently, our hearts have eyes. When we return to him, we get to see him. So, what are the exceptions? Because this is crazy, right? This giving of your 
extra tunic and your extra food and not stealing and not bearing false witness and this, this like, this is crazy, right? So there must be a catch. There must be a catch, right? I mean, because some people just don't deserve the extra tunic, right? I mean, if they would have just taken care of the tunic that they had to begin with, they would be fine. They wouldn't need a tunic. Why should I have to give him my tunic or her my tunic? I was the responsible one and saved the tunic. I got an extra tunic and look at them, right? There must be a catch. There must be some kind of matrix to consider when it comes to who's going to get what extra you have, right? Or the extra food. Well, my goodness, they should have a better job. They should have worked harder. They should have done better in school. They should have had the right parents when they were born. There must be something, right? There must be some kind of way that we can decide who. No, there's none of that. John the Baptist doesn't say anything like that, right? He doesn't say, okay, let's go. If you can get an extra tunic someplace, go find somebody who seems really deserving to you, and then you give it to them. Is that a prepared heart? Is that a heart that's been laid bare that God is producing fruit in? Is that what we're supposed to do? No. He doesn't say any of that. He just says, if you have the extra, give it. It's a mighty task to walk this way of God. It's impossible to do by ourselves. We can't. We can't do it. I know that many that heard these words of John the Baptist to begin with, it honestly just kind of fell on deaf ears to some sense. Some of them might have tried a bit, but even John the Baptist himself gets confused. He doesn't even know if Jesus is the Messiah because he doesn't seem to be getting on with killing people. Praise God that in Christ Jesus, the Spirit is poured out and we find hope. We find them not just the things that we're supposed to do, but we discover the capacity to do them. Because this blank slate that our hearts become when this work of preparation is done doesn't just stay a blank slate, but rather the Holy Spirit comes and fills us. Let me read for you what follows in Luke. And this is from the message. The interest of the people was now building. So in light of all of this sharing of stuff and treating each other well, the interest of people was now building. They were all beginning to wonder, could this John be the Messiah? But John intervened, I am baptizing you here in the river. The main character in this drama, to whom I'm a mere stagehand, will ignite the kingdom life, a fire, the Holy Spirit within you, changing you from the inside out. He's going to clean house, make a clean sweep of your lives. He'll place everything true in its proper place before God. Everything false, he'll put out to the trash to be burned. We're not alone in this waiting. In this waiting, we have these hearts that have turned back to God who have been laid bare, and God fills us with His Spirit. And now, not only do we know that we are supposed to share and give and love and not have stipulations and not steal and not extort and to learn to be content with what we have, we not only know that, but God gives us by the power of His Spirit the ability to live those things. 
and it's beautiful. I think Chad's story is fitting today because as we learn as God's church, as his body here on earth to actually do these things, to embody these things, to allow God to prepare us to turn back to him, recognizing that it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance, we see God at work in the lives of other people. People perk up and they say, why in the world would these crazy people down on Rock Street in Maine hand out free food and clothes? Why in the world do those crazy people do that? And somehow, some way, more hearts are touched. More lives are changed. God knows what he's doing, my friends. God knows what he's doing when he calls us to love, to serve, to give. He knows what he's doing. And even maybe in some sense more amazing than that, I don't know, maybe it's less amazing. When we bear those fruits, when we let the Holy Spirit win out and start establishing those things in our lives, other people's lives are changed and our hearts continue to be changed. I'll tell you what, I don't know what language to use. I'll, make some, I'll use some appropriate one. Choices here. If you don't listen to Chad's story, if you listen, to, sorry, if you listen to Chad's story and you're not moved in some sense by that, wow, <laughs> wow. So, what do you think? Are you guys getting ready while you wait? Are you turning back to God and letting Him just? Create a clean slate in you. You're letting him fill you with his spirit and learning to listen to that spirit. It says, trust your, trust your heavenly father. You don't have to extort. You don't have to steal. You can be content and you can give. You can give with no strings attached and you can give without any expectations or any discriminations? Are you letting God work on you? Maybe some of you are sitting out there tonight and you're just like, I want God to work on me. I don't know how to get started letting God work on me. And it's really, really easy. It's really easy. Chad wants to say something. Yeah, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Yeah. And that's actually, you know what, you know what the specific context of that is? Being, you probably do. <laughs> being content in plenty and in want. It's being content, that's it. It's being okay with giving away actually your last tunic, although I don't think we want to do that. A <laughs> bunch of people run around their skivvies. <laughs> Maybe you're just saying to yourself, I don't know how to get started with this thing. Well, Repent. <laughs> Just repent. It's not hard. Just hand your life over to God. Say, I want to do it your way, not my way. I want to learn to trust you, not myself. I've gone down those rocky, craggy roads, and I need you to smooth them out. Just say that you want to turn back to him. So pray with me, if you will. Heavenly Father. For those that are here tonight and they just want to give their lives to you, they want to turn back to you, but maybe they're afraid. 
just reveal to them right at this very moment, Lord Jesus, that you are a good God, a Father who is patient with us and gentle and kind and nurturing. And you invite us back with open arms when we want to return to you. And you heal us and you just lay our hearts bare once again and smooth out all those ragged, jagged edges and you help us and you show us how to walk with you. You put your spirit inside of us. And you start to produce fruit in us, Lord God. Heavenly Father, I just pray for those that are here tonight too, and maybe it's just really tough to let go of their extra tunic. Just invite them, Lord Jesus, into a deeper relationship with you that would be established not on tunics or any other thing, but simply on your presence in plenty and in want. Father, for our nation, for our people, just help us to become a more content people. Heavenly Father, thank you that though our hearts are barren like a wilderness, that you fill us with life, that you fill us with your Spirit. Heavenly Father, as we go from this place later tonight, I just would ask that you would, you would help us to be a people that would spend more time getting ready and being prepared for your return than we would be spending getting ready for anything else in our lives, anything else in our days. Father, in the ways that we are already maybe getting ready and we don't even recognize it, encourage us and strengthen us. Let us hear your voice of encouragement, Lord God, when we reach out and we give and we share our lives. Encourage us. We need to be encouraged, Lord God. I just thank you for the people of this community, of this church. I, I thank you, Heavenly Father, for the amazing, amazing things that happen because of the generosity of this community and the willingness to sacrifice in this community. And thank you, as Chad shared earlier tonight, Lord God, that we discover this abundant life and this, this joy that we get to experience that is surprising to us because we couldn't imagine a life lived with you could be so great. Father, we love you. We praise you. We long for you to come again. Whatever that looks like, we want to be ready. Praise you, Jesus. Amen.